Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. So I want to welcome those who are joining by live stream, and we welcome you this morning, our off-campus church here at Aurora Cornerstone, and we are thrilled to be able to join together to worship today. Invite you to turn in your Bibles or your devices and go with me, please. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. We're in a series of doing life together. And there's an emphasis this, this year, when I began the series, was that as I was looking towards 2021, each one reach one in 2021. Everybody say that together. Each one, reach one in 2021. It's not hard to remember that one, is it? It's one of those little, each one, reach one in 2021. That means let's not just be about us. One of the great concerns I have about this time that we live in is we are in a bit of a mentality of survival. But we need to be in a mentality about there are others that need us. Each one, reach one. And in doing that, I'm looking specifically at someone who maybe is not a follower of Jesus. That's why we have put extra emphasis this year as a church family on places like South Lake Environmental Services. Out of the 200 people that serve there, there will be many who do not know Jesus as Lord. So we pray for them. And for this month of March... We were in our staff, we were putting it out there, we were praying for these folk. We did it as a congregation. Praying for those that would receive it. So that when they received that Tim Hortons, they hold up the Tim Hortons, and I could even see the smiles behind those masks. Could you? You could tell by the wrinkles in their eyes. Either their smiles or they were deeply frowning. But when they held up those Tim Hortons, my prayer, your prayer, I know our prayer, is may they see this as an act of God. To say, I see you. That's, my, that's our prayer. And we, I, we're not able to get into the hospital. We're not able to talk to them. We don't know them. We will never cross paths except through that one little thing. And we had a little note that went with it as well. Just an encouraging note that was sent. So they got it this week, sent back. And, but that's what we've been purposing. And that's what we individually, we do it as a church. But I want to suggest the most effective is when you do it to somebody you know. So who is that person? Who is that neighbor? Remember, a neighbor is not the person in close proximity to where you live necessarily. It's whoever you cross-sector path with. It's that person you go on Zoom. It's the person you have the office meeting with. It's the person that you have. It's your boss. It's your employee. It's your uh, whoever that might be. Groomer. Somebody was uh, taking their dog to the groomer. It could be your groomer. Uh, It could be the person at the restaurant. When you go to the restaurant, the person at the grocery store, at the till, that particular person, the person moving the carts in from the parking lot whoever that is, but there's somebody in which to develop a more in-depth relationship, doing life together, more in-depth relationship so that each one can reach one in 2021. If our church were a 1,000 people, and in the next year we reached a 1,000 new converts for Jesus, Do you realize how long it's going to take us considering there's no new people born and no people dying? Do you know how long it'll take you to reach the world? Forever. But if you had a congregation of a thousand people 
who each reached one. And that 2,000 next year, each reached one for Jesus. Within 30 years, the world would be one for Jesus. That's the numbers. Each one reached one. It's the best way, and Jesus set it in place. And so... Mark or Matthew chapter 9 talks a bit about this. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray. Father, we ask and invite you by your spirit to speak to our hearts so that our lives can be changed, so that Jesus, more of you, can be manifest in us this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a number of little... Parts I want to just highlight here. Verse 35, we have this backup. 35, it says, He proclaimed, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Verse 36, He had compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. So you see the heart of Jesus with compassion. Then we see in 37, He says, The harvest is plentiful. <laughs> I like the way He worded it. To me, if it was me, I'd probably say the harvest is overwhelming. That's how I would have probably said it. It's probably, right? But no, Jesus does He looks at opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. I'd be saying, harvest is hopeless, Lord. There are so many people and so few workers. And I do say that too many times. And I need to be saying, it's just plentiful out there. And the workers are so few. So, send out workers into this great harvest. The focus of today on doing life together is God's heart for people. What is God's heart for people? We get a picture of it here. The word gospel, we read in verse 35 there, the word gospel comes from the old English God, good, and spell, message. Good message. The gospel is not what Jesus simply did 2,000 years ago. And so last week we commemorated and celebrated Easter weekend. Good Friday rolled into Resurrection Sunday. And we celebrated it. Many believe the church is irrelevant today because they believe the church is a museum. Meaning, we come to talk about past events. You've gone to a museum, that's what we do. You go to a museum to talk about the past. They got relics in the past. And so the church has been reduced to relics of the past. But that is not accurate because the focus of last weekend is not that he died, it's that he's alive and it's what he does today. It's the news of Jesus today, 2021, April the 11th, Jesus is at work today. So the church is about Jesus doing a job right now, today, today, not 2,000 years ago, not in my parents' or grandparents' day, but right now in my life, in the people's lives around me. That's the emphasis of the church. 
Jesus is alive and he's alive today. So I want to suggest the church is not a museum, so don't shut Jesus up in the church. Let's not confine him to our moments together like today. We come together to be encouraged, to encourage one another and to serve. But out of that, we flow out to do the mission this week. Each one reaching one for 2021. The focus, the emphasis of today is what we do when we flow out of here will make a difference in people's lives. And not just, you know, well, that sounds nice, but really believing it is nice. <laughs> it is doable, and it can be done through us. The church shouldn't be Jesus' tomb. You think about it. If we keep him confined to simply coming and doing our services, Jesus is still in the tomb. Let's get him out of the tomb to the world, that today he's, he can make news in their life. And so in that one person, and that person I'm in contact with, can make news in that person's life. Churches were never meant simply to deliver sermons. Churches were meant to redeem people. And we redeem people. You know, Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus didn't come to make the captive more comfortable. Jesus didn't come to make the captive more, you know, to give them, you know, in, in their prison in their bondage, that they you know, have more entertainment so that they aren't so concerned about their problems. Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to free them from their captivity. And so let's take Jesus out of the tomb. The power of the gospel is Jesus alive in us. Matthew seven sixteen says, By their fruit you will recognize them. So we will be recognized. Our faith is lived out by what we do, fruit. Fruit means what you produce. So how I impact others and what comes out of that is my fruit. And that's what determines who I am. The world around us has redefined greatness. In today's society, greatness is often seen in if you have uh, a lot of money, if you are famous, and to be honest, it always kind of grieves my heart. It happened again this week. happens almost every week. When a celebrity of some type, whether in the movie industry, sports, but when a celebrity of type, or in the music industry, this week was music, when a celebrity of type dies, all the pomp and glory, and yet sometimes that celebrity was not necessarily a person worthy of pomp and glory. It's the ones who have served and never got their face seen that... I honestly believe we'll have some of the greatest rewards in eternity. The Bible's very, we're going to talk about a scripture that says, if you do things in order to be applauded by man, then enjoy it because that's all you're going to get. Or will you do things in order to get the applaud of the Father? And if you do that, then you don't worry about what people say about it. Worry about what he's saying about it. And don't worry about it. Just rejoice in what he's saying about it because that is an eternal blessing. The other one is just a moment in the limelight and gone tomorrow. We just finished a series called Shape. S-H-A-P-E. Okay, you know I'm going to ask the question. S stands for spiritual gifts. Okay, come on, catch up. S stands for spirit. You can actually speak through some of these masks. S stands for spiritual gifts. Uh, H stands for Heart. Heart is what stirs you. What's your passion? So God has given you spiritual gifts. Gifts of God. He's given all of us. All children of God are given. At the moment you become a child of God, His Spirit bursts. He starts gifts in you. 
And then heart is your passions, what stirs your heart. A, A stands for abilities, what you're born with. We're born with different sizes. We're born in different regions. We're born with different strengths. We're born with different things that we can do, and, and it's just part of God gave us right from the beginning. P is personality. We all have unique DNAs, and he shapes our personality through life so that our personality is very much key to where he places us to make a difference. E stands for experience. And in the experience, it's your, it's your origin, it's your work experience, it's your church experience, it's your family experience, it's your, uh, your recreation experience, it's all the experiences that has brought you to this moment right now, all those, your school, your schooling, all those experiences are, he's weaving the tapestry of, of experience in shaping you. You put all those together, spiritual gifts, passion, abilities, personality, experience, put them together. That's the shape he is shaping all of us through that shape. Now, having said that, that is our primary, and I want to say your primary ministry flows out of your shape. But listen to this. Secondary service is wherever you're needed at the moment. And sometimes we get so stuck on our abilities and our shapes and our talents that we find ourselves in moments, and they will happen multiple times every day, that we feel we don't need to respond to that. And I want to say, yes, you do. It's called a servant's heart. It's called a servant's heart. Servant means serving, right? A heart that serves. So I live my life not simply by the shape. We talked about it. I live my life to serve. And that's where we're talking today. Um, there's a, a book out there. It's called A Call to Excellence by Gary Ingrid. And he tells the story back uh, in the late 1800s. Maybe you've heard of D.L. Moody, uh, Dwight Moody. He was a great pastor, evangelist, speaker, a professor, and uh, won many people to the Lord. He was famous. There are Bible colleges, multiple Bible colleges after his name, uh, institutes after his name. And D.L. Moody was doing a conference for Europeans in Boston in the late 1800s, and they were in a hotel. The conference was out of a hotel in Boston, or if you're from, if you're from Massachusetts, it'd be Baston. So Baston, Massachusetts. And uh, anyway, sorry if any of you are, are watching and you're from there. Um, and D.L. Moody was doing... So the, the custom of the Europeans back then, if you went to a hotel, they left their shoes outside their door because the Hall boys would come at night and polish their shoes. That's what they did in Europe, I guess. So the custom was so, so up and down the halls, Dale Moody was coming back to his room at night and he saw all these shoes in the halls and he learned that the custom in Europe is they put their shoes out, the hall boys shine their shoes and their shoes are shining come in the morning. And he was perplexed because that's not what happens in Boston. And so he talked, and he had a number of students. He was training in ministry, and he talked to the students. He was saying, it's really, did you see all the shoes out? And, and they're waiting to be shined, and there's nobody to shine them. And the students just looked at him in silence and said nothing. He didn't, go, he didn't pursue any farther. He went back himself, and unbeknown to anybody else, he began to mark down. Now, if it was me, I'd probably get all the shoes mixed up. But he began to mark, and he, he got all the shoes. He took them into his room, and late into the night, he polished the shoes. Now, he is the guest speaker, famed evangelist. 
so that they would wake up in the morning and their shoes would all be shined. And he put them back out. Now, when he was polishing the shoes, nobody did. He did it in secret. He happened to have one of his friends come in that night to talk about business, and that was the only person who saw him do it. And the next day, when the uh, guests stepped out of their rooms, their shoes were all shined. They thought nothing more of it. But their guest speaker shined their shoes that night. Well, he was prepared to do it the next night, but his friend talked to the students, told them what happened, and conviction came over them. So they that night went and they gathered up the shoes and that night they polished the shoes and throughout the conference the shoes were polished for all their overseas guests. You know, I understand now why God used D.L. Moody in such a powerful way. Because that's the character of the man. That's the character that God could say, I can trust you with great things because you serve in the remedial things. When nobody's watching, you just serve. Great story that brings us to the place we understand your shape reveals your ministry, but your servant's heart will reveal your maturity. Hmm. It doesn't take a special gift or talent to stay after a meeting to pick up someone's shoes and sign them. It doesn't take a special gift. It doesn't take a special gift to pick up garbage after a meeting. It doesn't take a special gift to rearrange and stack chairs after a meeting. It doesn't take any special gift. It's called service. It's called a heart of a servant. Remember, here's the focus today. God's heart for people is to serve. To serve. And it starts there. Anyone can be a servant. It merely requires development of your character. Matthew 7, 16. By their fruit, by, I'm going to say, by their service, you will recognize who are followers of Jesus. I want to share here six observations about real servants and invite you to mark these down. Six observations, I come, six observations I believe that mark real servants. And I use this, I've used this multiple times. I just really believe I've refined this list. Here they are. Number one, real servants make themselves available to serve. Real servants make themselves available to serve. Servants don't so fill up their time with other pursuits that they limit their availability. Real servants want to be ready to jump into service when the moment needs it. Now that's a problem for many. You know, we can so fill up our lives, we have no room to serve. And real servants create availability. Availability to serve. They enter their day believing and leaving moments to serve. They look for it. It's kind of like... uh, you know, it's kind of like a soldier, always ready for duty. I think of, I drive by when I come here to the office every morning, just around the corner, is the fire station. And they're all, whoever's in there, and there's an ambulance dispatchment out of there as well. And they're, they, they can't so fill up their calendars when they get a call, they're saying, hey, I'm too busy. They've got to always be ready to serve. They've got to have their equipment ready. When the call comes, they're within seconds into their vehicles and on the way to serve. They even say they're there to serve. And they've got to be available. It doesn't do any good if I say I'm going to serve and I'm never available to serve. I've got to and that's a tricky one for some of us, isn't it? To start with the place of being available to serve. Here's what I do. I have to do this. I start every day 
with an awareness I'm God's servant and I will not allow interruptions to frustrate my work to serve. Serving is not, is not an, an inconvenience. And you know what? When those moments of needs come, they typically come, don't they? They typically come when it is most inconvenient. You're, you're on your way to something. You're on your way to Jericho and you come across the man who was beaten along the side of the road. You know that story. But you've got a job to do in Jerusalem. You've got a job to do. And so you don't do it. Why? You're unavailable. You checked out of serving. A, a real servant makes them avail, themselves available to serve. Servants see interruptions as divine appointments. So you start your day, God, I'm looking to serve. I'm looking for somebody to help. I'm going to go, we're going out for a walk, God. Who might I help today? I hope you got out for a walk in the last couple of days. Beautiful weather. But in the process, you're going from here to there. Maybe there's somebody you might serve that day. Uh, maybe it's to your workplace. Maybe it's to visit or to tend to a, a need in a family. Maybe you're going to a doctor's appointment. Whatever that is, noticing the mentality, I'm available, Lord, to serve. I remember somebody spoke that word over me years ago, a prophet. And he spoke a word and he says, availability. And I just, yeah, make yourself available because he won't use you if you're not available. Number two, real servants pay attention to needs. Become aware of a needs, of the needs. Uh, look for ways. Look for ways. Pray about ways that you might meet needs. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we have opportunity. There it is. Do good to all people, especially those belong. So it starts with the family. Your preference is the family of believers. One of the first places to start is within the context of the body of Christ. Some people say, oh, I'm, I'm so busy doing this. That's why I have deep concern. Last week I talked about what it means to be a part of the family. And it's so important to be regular, to commit it, to be a part of the family, a local expression of Jesus. Because there's, there are folk who, who haven't been a part and they don't engage with the family at all. They say, oh yeah, my, you know, my, my, my call is my family, my, my biological family, my, my husband, my wife, my parents, my son, my daughter. And it is, but that's a given. Your expression of where you can serve comes in this very place right here where servants make them available to paying attention to the needs and the need starts with the family of God. What's going on within the family? Are you aware of the family needs? Get into the prayer meetings. And you'll become aware of what some of the needs are. And when you hear some of the needs, maybe you can help meet some of those needs. Instead of just praying for God to help that person get from there to there, maybe you can pick them up and take them. And God answered the prayer. That place of paying attention to the needs John Wesley, another great evangelist, credible servant of God, he had a model. His model was this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Ah, yeah, that's greatness. That's greatness. A real servant pays attention to needs. Number three, real servants do their best with what they have. God never asked anything of you for what you don't have. He's ever only asked one question. What do you have right now? That's the question. 
Real servants do their best with what they have. They don't make excuses. They don't procrastinate. They don't wait for when they do have. With what they have, they offer. Real servants never say, well, one of these days I'll... They don't, they're, that's not in their vocabulary. Real servants don't say, when the time is right. That's not in their vocabulary. When the time is right. Guess what? It'll never be right. They don't say it. Not real servants. They just do what needs to be done. They do their best with what they have. One reason many I've heard over the years don't serve is they feel they're not good enough. They feel they can't do a good enough job. And maybe you've heard it said, if it can't be done with excellence, don't do it. Maybe you've heard that. If it can't be done with excellence, don't do it. Jesus never said that. I'm just going to tell you straight up. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. The truth actually is anything you end up doing good always start being done poorly. Right? And if you wait until you're good to do it, you'll never do it. So just start doing it. Okay, I remember the first time I started playing guitar. Oh, my goodness. And then you learn a bit more. Remember the first time starting to speak, first time starting to, to teach a class, just on and on, first time starting any, anything. It was like horrible. But you just do it. The point here is do your best with what you have. Jesus never holds you to starting with excellence. He will develop your excellence once you've started. And I've seen that with some of our musicians, that they give what they have, and then they work to grow in it, and then watch what God can't do with that. Oh, my goodness. And you, and, and you do things that you never thought possible that you could have ever done. Uh, real servants do their best with what they have. Number four, real servants do every task with equal dedication. The size of the task is irrelevant. I'm going to say that again. doesn't matter how big or small. It's irrelevant to God. It's irrelevant to Him. The only issue is, is there a need? That's the, only, that's the barometer. So if there's something that needs to be done, don't look at how much you're going to see accomplished. This is what I've, this is, I'm going to be honest here. I've learned this over the pandemic. It's pre-pandemic to me, I was very much focused on, I need to make the greatest impact every time you meet. So how many will be there? How many will be there? How many? Because I want to make the greatest impact. During the pandemic, that kind of all got blown out of the water. So now I focus on one at a time. And so this one person, I'm going to give it all to this one. This one person, I'm going to give it all to this one. I spend time. And I've been doing that. And it's been some of the most enriching times of my life, focusing on the one. Focusing on the two has been enriching. That's the point here. Real servants do every task with equal dedication. You know, if, if you're sharing with uh, 50 people or 45 people, does it really matter if it was 4,000 or 5,000 people in the room? If you're sharing with that one person on Zoom or on call, and you're that one person, does it really matter if it's one or if it was 1,000 people? If you're helping somebody in their yard, does it matter if you're helping them or if you're helping an institute in their yard? The point is, do every task with equal dedication. Jesus is the best example on this one. I mean, look at Jesus was Jesus. Jesus was the Christ. Jesus had tens of thousands following him. Where Jesus went, there were crowds that 
that were huge. Jesus was seeing miracles. Jesus was, uh, you know, cleansing the lepers. Jesus was uh, walking on water. He was raising the dead. He was doing big time stuff. And Jesus was washing feet. Small, but Jesus was doing it. No fanfare. Jesus was, people were gathered, crowding him out by the thousands, but there were kids over there playing in the schoolyard. The disciples were saying, you know, the kids are getting in the way, and Jesus went over to them, spent some time with the kids, spending just some time one-on-one, picking them up, putting his hands and blessing them, encouraging them. Jesus, fishermen were out fishing. Jesus is not out with the big crowds. He's preparing breakfast because they're going to come home hungry. Jesus was preparing breakfast. Jesus is serving lepers. Everybody's going, unclean, unclean, won't touch them with a 10-foot pole. Jesus not only is standing closer than 10 feet, he's putting his hand on them and talking to them eyeball to eyeball. Jesus, do every task with equal determination and dedication. Nothing was beneath Jesus because he came to serve. Small tasks will demonstrate how big your heart is. Small tasks. If you have a big task, great opportunities often disguise themselves in small tasks. The little things in life determine the big things, don't they? You know there will always be more people willing to do great things for God than people willing to do the little things. So do the little things. The race to be great is crowded, but the field is wide open for those willing to be servants. So don't go elbow to elbow with those trying to be great. Serve. Serve. And then watch him raise you to something of importance. Just serve where you see it. Come back to that point again. Do every task with equal dedication. Number five, real servants are faithful to their ministry. Real servants are faithful to their ministry. Servants finish what they start. Hmm. They fulfill their responsibility. They keep their promises. They complete their assignments. They don't leave a job half done. They don't serve a few months and quit because it's discouraging. They don't serve teaching that group of people and quit because it's not what they thought it was going to be. They start and they finish. They go the distance. They don't quit when others get discouraged. They're trustworthy. Real servants are dependable. You can count on them. If they start it, they're going to go through. They're going to finish it. You imagine what it will be like one day to have God himself tell you because you were faithful all the way through, for God to tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this little amount. I'm going to give you much more. Let's go celebrate. Won't that be a great thing to hear? I'm not sure everybody's going to hear that, though. Faithful servants don't retire. (laughs) There's no place in the Bible that talks about that. They serve faithfully as long as they're alive, recognizing there's still something to be done. A person can retire from the career, but you never retire from serving. Sir, come back to that. Real servants are faithful to their ministry. The last one I want to share is real servants maintain a low profile. Servants don't promote or call attention to themselves. If recognized for their service, they say thank you and humbly accept it, but don't allow notoriety, 
Don't allow that raising of profile to distract them from the work. They stay at their job. Jesus hated that attitude. And he warned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Wow. Don't practice it in front of others. Unfortunately, there are many who have risen up and maybe in leadership today who started off as servants but ended up as celebrities. Beware, beware, beware. They became addicted to the attention. Listen, we need to all be aware that when the spotlight hits you, it also blinds you. And you'll have many blind sides as soon as the spotlight's on you. So beware of the spotlight. Don't seek it because you'll be blinded by it. So maintain low profile. I don't know if any of you have been to Los Angeles and walked the Walk of Fame. Lori and I had a chance one time, we did, and uh, there's more than 750 Hall of Famers on the Walk of Fame in the United States. In the Who's Who publications, there's more than 450 famous people, but you won't find many real servants there. It's hard to find a good real servant there. Think about this. Think about your bodies. When you look at someone's body, there are prominent features to the body that attracts you to that body. A person's smile. Those are hard to come by these days. But a person's smile, you say, wow, that's an affection. That smile is infectious. Or their eyes. Or their dimples. Or their nose. Uh, you know, their, or their shape, their size, their hair, right? Things that attract you. But you know, it's really interesting. Think about this. Most of those prominent features that attract people, you can actually do without. I mean, you can do without your hair. Hello. You can do without your eyes. You can live without your eyes. You can live without your ears, without your dimples. You can live without your nose. And if you think the body shape is the thing going, wait until you're 60, 70, 80 years old. Gravity has an amazing work on your body. You see, the outside, the outside of your body, several prominent features of your body, you can actually live, listen, you can live without. You can live without them. It's the hidden parts you can't live without. Take your heart out, you can't live. But nobody has seen your heart. Take your lungs out, you can't live. But nobody gets a chance to see your lungs. That's the point in the body of Christ. We tend to look at the outside. The things that are seen, we can do without. But a servant, a real servant, the things that are done behind, because there's a need and you serve, they're vital to the function of the body of Christ. Let's make that ours. I want to close with a story. Uh, there was a minister, and this happens oftentimes. I'll just use this story. A pastor um, had a need in his church. He needed someone to teach the junior high boys class. Junior high boys class. And then only one person signed up, right? And the sizable church, one person. And the pastor was actually quite concerned because he hadn't seen anything particularly of that person who was about to serve. He was quite honestly quite concerned about the person who would be the teacher. He thought, you've got to be kidding. Well, he couldn't have been more wrong. After many months of this person working with this class, 
He was accomplishing amazing things with the class. The pastor was so impressed, he invited the young man to his house for lunch, asked him the secret of his success. And the young man pulled out a scribbler. And on each page of the scribbler, on the top of the page, he had a picture of each of the boys in his class. And under each picture, he had comments like, having trouble in math. Another one, comes to church alone. Another one, would like to be a missionary one day. And then this unlikely candidate said to his pastor, he said, I pray over those pages every day, and I can hardly wait to come to church on Sunday to see what God's doing in their lives. That's why he's successful. I was thinking, God, let that be. Um, Albert Schwarzer, born 1875, theologian, organist, writer, humanitarian, philosopher, physician. He said this, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. They're the happy ones. God help us to have a heart of a servant. Guess what? You get to practice this message today. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. You don't have to wait for the pandemic to end. You don't have to wait to get your degree in school. You don't have, kids, you don't have to wait to grow up. All of us can practice this message today. And then expect to practice it tomorrow and every day to serve each one for each one for 2021. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.